You've unlocked for us the gates to eternity. Grant that our devotion may grow deeper and our faith be strengthened. That is a part of the Collect today that begins the daily readings for Mass. As we come to the Acts 25-13-21 account of Paul, who is with Festus, and we see a number of human characters come into the plot of Paul being in Jerusalem, about to make his way to Rome. The characters that show up have a lot of human authority. We see King Agrippa and Bernice, and they arrive in Caesarea, and we see Festus, and we see Felix, in whose custody Paul had been. And we see from human perspective, charges are brought against Paul, and they're demanding uh, condemnation. The Jews are against Paul, one of their own. And they're handing him to Romans, and Paul is also one of their own. Feels a little bit like a hot potato. They don't know what to do with him. So we hear Festus say, not a Roman practice it is for us to hand over an accused person before facing accusers and a chance to defend himself. And we saw yesterday that Paul was almost torn apart between the Sadducees and the Pharisees on account of Paul's belief in the resurrection. So the human honor and human importance, the self-importance that Festus shows is explaining they came together. I did it with no delay. He's showing off. I took my seat on the tribunal. He's showing his importance. I ordered the man to brought in. He's showing that he can order someone else around. The accusers didn't charge him with any crimes I suspected, so he's also showing a knowledge of the law. So in this beginning of the account, we see all these human things, kingship of Agrippa, accusations of the law, positioning. So here they have Paul in their midst, a messenger of God, and Festus is caught in the human drama and in the positioning, in the advancement in the world, in gaining advantage, and they cannot see a messenger of God. Like the Christians in Corinth, in Antioch and Ephesus, who had risked so much because they had seen God. In opposition to that, we see people surrounding Paul right now that do not see him or God whom he represents. Have you ever felt this way? Have you felt unseen by the, by the authorities in your life? Have you given your best in getting what may look like failure according to the world because Paul being accused, being imprisoned, looks like failure to the world? Take heart. God was with Paul, God is with us. His priorities and his mission are not the world's. Festus continues that they had issues about their own religion. 
And look what they say about the Son of God by Jesus walking in their midst. All that Festus can muster is there was a certain Jesus who had died but who Paul claimed that was alive. Festus is sort of reporting headlines, news, facts without understanding of the truth they imply. He's so caught in the world that he cannot even fathom that the gateway to eternity had been opened by someone, by Jesus, and that Paul was speaking about that gateway. Since I was at a loss for how to investigate this controversy, he continues, I asked if he were willing to stand trial on these charges and appear again all about the plot of the world. So here comes Paul and says he appeals to be held in custody for the emperor's decision. He has now overridden all these authorities and he wants to go to the emperor himself. And so Festus says, I ordered him held until I could send him to Caesar again. Oblivious to what he has before him, he's concerned deeply with the human drama. In the middle of the pandemic, it's so easy to be caught in a human drama. It is so easy to be caught in the news, in the charts that we see on television, the red dots of how much the virus is growing that we can forget what's really happening in our midst, in our homes, the potential for growing deeper in our relationships with each other, the ability to discern more clearly how to listen to the voice of God, the ability to focus with more determination on our mission. And if we're not clear on our mission to ask God to clarify the mission for us, As Paul is asking to go to Caesar, he is willing now to bring news of the Son of God in this appeal to the emperor himself, who is considered a deity in this time. And this makes me wonder, how far am I willing to go for Jesus? The Lord has established his throne in heaven. In the middle of the pandemic, it's very important to maintain divine perspective, to remember that God is still on the throne, as one of my dear friends says. Tana says this, and it's a wonderful reminder when I lose track of things, to remember that God still sits on the throne. We have seen the Roman Empire end, and then we saw medieval times appear in the world as the Romans knew it, ended. And then, after medieval times, we had the Renaissance in the world as the medieval minds in the actions that were taken during those times, they ended as well. And the Renaissance began a whole new way of looking at life and at the world. We've seen this happen, and we are in the midst of a shift. How are we remaining conscious that we are not alone, that there is a shift happening and that our eyes have to lift up because the Lord has established his throne in heaven. 
In this Psalm 103, we hear, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all my being, bless his holy name. This is a wonderful refrain to repeat when we are in distress. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. I repeat that often. Bless his holy name. We live in a culture that uses a lot of foul language in things like songs, in movies. We have demeaning words, demeaning tones. Do you turn them off when you hear them? Do you bless God's name when you hear somebody curse? I learned from one of my mentors that when I hear God's name taken in vain, I can make up for it by saying something like, Bless the Lord, O my soul, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord continues the psalm and forget not his benefits. In the midst of distress, we can just knock at the door of heaven and ask for more. Let us do that remembering the benefits we've received. Jesus does this over and over. He begins his prayers to his Father in thanksgiving, lifting his eyes to heaven and saying, Thank you, Father. The verse continues, So surpassing is his kindness towards those who fear him. God is kind. What does it mean to fear God? Is Paul's situation in front of all these magistrates and kings about to see Caesar an example of fear of the Lord? Because it sounds like he's been sent into the mouth of a wolf. Is this what we mean by fear of the Lord? No, it's quite the opposite. Paul trusts the Lord. He's walking with him, hearing his voice. He's focused on the mission. To fear the Lord is really a synonym of reverence, having reverence for the Lord. In Hebrew, there is a distinction between fear of punishment and pain and fear as divine awe or glory of God being in its, his presence. In Proverbs 9.10, we hear, Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So fear of the Lord is more like a disposition of the heart to reverence in the presence of God's glory. And it is a door that opens the possibility for wisdom. In John 4, 15, 19, as we come to the end of this preparation for Pentecost, we hear Jesus talking to Peter in an account that is well known for the mercy that Jesus shows. We see Peter being given three chances to answer Jesus's question. And we've seen these spoken about many times by great minds, great theologians that just as Peter had denied Jesus three times before the crucifixion, Jesus gives him a chance to redeem himself by answering the question three times, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And the passage begins by telling that Jesus had just eaten breakfast with them. What a lovely image, that Jesus takes the time to make breakfast and sit with his disciples 
in that after he had revealed himself to them, begins to converse with Peter. Do we take the time like our, our Lord for the small things? He's here on a great mission, but he's delivering the mission through small acts like eating breakfast with the people that he loves and revealing himself in simple questions that can help those that are listening to understand, to open their hearts and to have a chance to respond. Jesus doesn't come to Peter with accusations, with condemnation, with recrimination. He comes to Peter with love, with a second chance, with an opportunity. Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Is that what I can say when Jesus comes to my heart with a question? Do you love me? How do I respond to Jesus if he tells me, do you love me? How would he know? Yes, you can say that I love you, Lord, because I'm in conversation with you because I want to know you better. To love someone, we have to know that person. Jesus responds with three beautiful but enigmatic statements. Feed my lambs to the first answer from Peter. Tend my sheep to the second answer to the same question that Jesus poses. And when Jesus asks again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter becomes distressed. Have you found yourself in distress when you're being questioned by someone who is in authority or, or your spouse or your boss maybe someone you honor or, or you appreciate. We can imagine ourselves knowing that Peter has rejected knowing Jesus, maybe already had a lot of emotions in his heart. And Jesus acknowledges those. He acknowledges the emotions you have in your heart. He has patience with those. He wants you to heal them. He doesn't come with condemnation because he is an all-merciful, loving God that wants our healing. But what is distress? Distress is an extreme anxiety. It can be sorrow. It can be pain. We can see that maybe Peter is so disappointed at himself, he's feeling distress. So what do you do when you feel distressed? I've taught my children to have a network of at least three people, preferably five people, that they can go to for help or advice because when things get tough, we need help. And I know that I cannot always be the person that they come to, that they might need a different perspective. They might even be having a tiff with me about something and they might need someone else that can give them a nudge or a sense for how they might approach a different way of conversing with me. I've taught him the importance of reaching out to therapists when anxiety is high, and especially when my father died, or now that my grandmother has died, we are looking for grief counselors that can assist us on the steps to unlock the things that get caught up inside of us when we lose something or someone that is very big, like my grandmother. 
leaving us in the midst of the pandemic. It's caught with so many other things that a grief counselor can be wonderful. And a therapist can show us tools we can use to address distress. I've taught him that a pastor, a priest is very important. They can help us find a spiritual perspective on our problems. And for us, the ability to have confession is a wonderful way to literally touch Jesus the way that the man who was brought down by his friends in the roof at Capernaum and was placed at Jesus' feet and got touched and got spoken to by Jesus himself, we have that chance as well. We have a chance to have a conversation behind the screen with Jesus himself. Having a dear friend, someone who can listen and accompany us. Sometimes the anonymity of a priest, a pastor, a therapist, a mentor, a spiritual director has been helpful in my life. When my parents got a divorce, for example, I, f I felt so uneasy about sharing my feelings, my emotions with others near me that I relied on other sources to deal with my distress. In the end, Jesus comes to heal. He invites us, follow me. Without condemnation, he comes to show us the way.